Why is it so hard to get a job? Why does it take six weeks to hear back from someone? Why do all recruiters suck? Welcome to Let's Fix Work, everybody. I'm Lori Rudiman. Today's guest is America's most famous recruiter, and that's not really saying much. His name is Tim Sackett. He writes, he speaks, and he has a new book coming out called The Talent Fix. He also happens to be one of my best friends. In today's episode, I pretty much make fun of Tim Sackett for being a blogger and now an author with horrible grammar skills. And we talk about what recruiting is and why it sort of matters. And we also talk about why most recruiters are lazy. Spoiler alert, they're just assholes. I hope you enjoyed this conversation with Tim Sackett as much as I did, and I'll see you at the end to wrap things up. Work is broken. So is the way you think about it. Host Lori Rudiman is breaking things down so you can put them back together and make work something you can enjoy. Let's fix work together. With the Let's Fix Work podcast, here's Lori. Hello, everybody. Welcome to Let's Fix Work. I'm Lori Rudiman, and I'm here with a very special guest today. He's the man, the myth, the legend, my dear friend, Tim Sackett. Timmy, how you doing? I'm doing great. Thanks for having me on. This is, I'm like just, I'm, I don't know, beside myself with anticipation. Oh my goodness. Well, you know, one of the nice things about a conversation with you is it's all improv. And <laughs> <laughs> we're here today to talk about fixing work and some key takeaways on how to make work better for everybody. But you have a new book coming out. Why don't you tell us about the book? Yeah. So um, I, I've never, I, you know, are you a goal person? Uh, well, I like to make goals and not meet them. Yeah. So I'm, I've never been a goal person because of that. Because I know, like, if I set a goal, I would be like, yeah, I'm going to lose weight. Well, not really. I love cheeseburgers, you know, kind of thing. Um, and so December 31st, 2016, I made one New Year's resolution, which is I'm going to write a book in 2017. And, and then I said... It was, I don't know, you know, it's probably one of those things we start reading some stupid Instagram post and motivation or whatever and how to get something done. Who knows why it came up. And, and then I go, well, the only way I'm going to do this is if I actually work with somebody and they kind of force me to have deadlines, right? Because I, you know, I'll meet deadlines. There's no doubt about that. And Sherm, um, you know, had asked me to, to write a book. And, and so I, I just, I sent him a note and said, okay, I'm in, wow. you know, that's it. And they're like, okay. And they said, October 31st, Halloween day we have to have the finished manuscript. And then they walk through steps and stuff on how to get all that done. And I'm like, okay, so I started writing, you know, and, uh, and got it done. And so it'll actually launch um, unofficially at Sherm Talent, which is at, uh, in April um, at their conference, which is a great talent acquisition conference. And then officially, I always think officially, because to me, officially is when it's on the Amazon, right? Yeah, that's all that matters. <laughs> Jeff Bezos. <laughs> if my name's on Amazon, yeah, yeah it'll be true. there. So I wrote the book, um, and, and the title is The Talent Fix, and it's the, it's the answer to the question that I get probably more than any when I talk to heads of talent. Um, they'll come to me, and they'll say, Tim, like, we're broken. How, what would you do to fix us? And it's the answer to that question. And, it, and there's this point of that where you go, that could be a million different answers based on mm-hmm. what, their, what their issue is. And so I kind of took it from the standpoint of if you hired me to come in right now and fix your stuff, um, can we swear on this podcast? Yeah, know. of course we can swear. I'm an E on the iTunes store. Come on. If you came in and had me fix your shit, how yeah. would I fix it, right? How would I, what would I do? And I mean, foundationally all the way through to the point of like, I'm going to help you get through 
and, and fire some of your crappy recruiters that you have in your team that aren't really recruiters and kind of, yeah. kind of go through the entire process. So, Interesting. You know, I'm fascinated by this word fix because I've got it in the title of my podcast. You've got it in your book because we share a brain and we're buddies. Yeah. Um, but the word fix is hot right now. So what is broken about the world of work and the world of recruiting that needs to be fixed? And does it need to be fixed or just changed? Right. Are we playing yeah. a semantics game? You know, there's there. So that is, there's a million different things that are broken in recruiting but not every single one of them is broken for every single shop. So sometimes it's a simple fix of, you know, Hey, you have a technology kind of tech stack issue that needs to be fixed. Sometimes it's, you know, you're not measuring the right things to get to promote the right behaviors. You know, um, there, sometimes it's your brand is an issue. Sometimes it's, you know, there's sometimes it's leadership and, you know, and you, Laura, you and I know a lot of the times this is simple performance management. <laughs> oh, yeah. Oh, if, we, if we had leaders and we had talent leaders or HR leaders that actually knew how to performance manage teams, they wouldn't be broken. Yeah. Even if, they, even, even if they had bad tech, even if they didn't have a great brand, it wouldn't matter if you had people doing the right things. And yet we just we fail at that so often. So Tim, I think about all the things that you mentioned that could potentially be broken and they differ for every HR organization, every talent organization, every company. Are there major themes that are broken at almost every single recruiting shop or HR shop around the country, around the world? Like, does everybody have crappy technology? Does everybody have a crappy candidate experience? Are there are like three things you can point to that need to be fixed straight away for everybody. Well, I met, I'd never, I've never been a huge fan of candidate experience because it was a made-up concept by consultants. That yeah, tell everybody what that is. <laughs> <laughs> and so somehow along the lines, we felt like um, candidates were, had like this bad experience because there was all these great stories about somebody applied for a job and never heard a thing. And, oh, my gosh, that's so awful. But the reality was, is like, it wasn't necessarily that bad. I mean, candidates have super low expectations anyway. So apply for a job. Let me know you got my application or my resume. Let me know the job was filled. Let me know you're interested. Like there's like, like literally two or three touch points. If you can get those, like that's all they really care. And somehow we've created this entire industry where now we have to send candidates like fruit baskets and you know, <laughs> make them feel good about themselves, even though they suck and they showed up, you know, smelling of cigarettes and like liquor and, you know, and like somehow we, that's our problem. Yeah. And, you know, so, I hear you. And I'm not saying that we should treat candidates bad. I never felt that way. I, I, to me, it's that golden rule of, you know, you treat candidates like you would want to be treated as a candidate. And if you can do that, you're fine. You don't have to, you know, blow it all up and, and spend all these resources and money and everything else for that kind of stuff. So that isn't something that you would identify as broken and needs to be fixed in most companies, right? Because we're adults. Well, no, but we, but we, people think it's broken. Yeah, right. right. And I, and Absolutely. I okay. So are there yeah. like a couple um, things that but, are universally broken that sure. need to be fixed? Well, I, so I'll say I said candidate experience because I really think the employee experience is broken, oh, right? Which is another, that. which is another made-up kind of uh, concept that I can sell you if you want. If you want me, to, if you want to give me a hundred thousand dollars, I'll come fix your employee experience. But hasn't the employee experience <laughs> been broken for so many years? When we all worked in factories, when we were all working out in the farm fields, our employee just being an employee fucking sucks, right? Isn't that just the nature of work? So why is it that we think the employee experience needs to be better? Because it should be better? Because we deserve better? Or is it well, marketing? I don't know. You tell yeah, me. I will say from a, an organizational success standpoint, those who are going to have a better employee experience are going to just be better at 
um, creating more value to the, to the stakeholders, whether that's whether you're a public company, private, whatever, and whoever your stakeholders are, you know, you have that ability because you're going to retain people longer. If you retain people longer, they're more effective. You know, you don't have to keep hiring and training and going through that kind of vicious cycle downward. Um, and for me, the, the entire employee experience is fixed if you just fix leadership and you, and you teach leaders how to really be, I would say, a talent agent. And if you think, you know, we love like pop culture, right? So if you think of Jerry Maguire and Jerry Maguire and Rod and that relationship, if Jerry's the boss and Rod is the employee, all Jerry cared about was, was Rod performed at his best so he could make the most money, knowing that it was going to also obviously, you know, be an advantage to Jerry if Rod did great. But Rod's or Jerry's sole focus was to make sure Rod was awesome. Yeah. Can you imagine working for a boss that that was their sole focus? That's I've never had that. No, never. almost nobody has, no. right? Like that's how we, that to me, that's how we fix employee experience is that we teach our leaders to be career agents, talent agents of our employees. And that even to the point where, and, and we, Chris and I are, you know, Chris Dunn and I are friends and you're friends. I mean, we're all kind of in that same kind of tribe together. Um, can I say tribe? Like people get so fussy about that yeah, nowadays. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> they do. I think I get fussy about it sometimes. <laughs> I, I was like, sorry, sorry. Yeah, I'm not offended. No, same, I don't care. We're in the same uh, clique team. We are. Group. Yeah, yeah, we're whatever. in the same squad. Squad. Yeah. I like that one. Yeah. We'll use squad. Um, and so anyways, you know, Chris originally kind of came up with that career agent kind of concept and then shared it. And, um, and I love it because of that, because I truly believe that it's hard to get there as a leader. But if we could, like, it's transformational. And also that, you know, if, even if to the point where you're so much of a career agent to your employees that you put them in a position where now they can leave your company and make more money, that's still better, right? Like, that's still better. Does it make sense at a company like an Applebee's or at a cupcake shop or at a dry cleaner? Because we talk about the professional workforce and career agents and leaders, but at some level within the workforce, we just need managers. We need people to make sure that the lights are turned on and off, nobody's stealing, uh, <laughs> that the dishes are being washed and dried properly. And we conflate, I think, management with leadership. And that's where a lot of the confusion in the workforce comes from. And do you have to be a good leader in order to be a manager? No, but you have to be a good manager to be a good leader, right? Like you can't be a leader and not, man not know how to manage people. Right. So you can be a great manager and be a crappy leader, but you can't be a great leader with not be a good manager. And so, uh, so here's my thing, right? right. I, I think that career agent person in involves both of those because if I'm a great career agent, what that involves is me having really, really good specific goals and um, measures that I'm going to put that you against so that you know you're successful or not successful as an employee. And that's a great manager, right? That's yeah, being a great manager. Yeah. Because if I can't help you be great and successful in our environment, then no one's going to view you as great and successful in any environment. Well, I think about um, all of the technical people that I've worked with and worked for throughout my career. You know, I have a background in pharmaceuticals and life sciences and even in the insurance industry. So and you these take uh, Yeah, I take drugs. Yeah. I take a lot of drugs. You know, I'm the queen of Zyrtec here <laughs> with all my cats. I worked with men and women who uh, were not very empathetic, not very emotional, but were really great at moving the needle forward and doing great science, uh, paying out life insurance policies, writing great underwriting statements. And these are individuals who did good work and had teams under them but weren't compassionate, 
what do we do with those leaders who are currently in place who may not um, be good at making that connection? They don't hug. For sure, they don't hug their employees, but they're great. They're great at their jobs. Do we find a non-leadership role for them? Like, how do we work this out with these people who are in these roles? No, I mean, we're never going to have, not everyone's going to be a great leader, right? So we're going to have organizations that just have great leaders and, and, you know, and then you're going to have a bunch of, I mean, the majority that are just kind of good managers, solid managers, we hope, and maybe we can help them little by little become better leaders, but they're never going to be great leaders. So I'm fine with that. I think every organization has to define what that is though. And we, we, in HR, we kind of went to that one to five kind of Likert scale, right? Where if you're, if you're a three, three doesn't mean good. Three means what? Average. Average. Well, I'm a 3.85. Wait, let's just clarify. So you're a little slightly above average. Now, I think no one wants to be average. To me, we have to redefine that. And a three means you are doing the job we hired you to do. Thank you so much. We wish 100% of the people we hired did exactly what you did. That's a three. Yeah. You're doing the job. That is true. If you want a four, here's what a four looks like. If you want to be a five, here's what a five looks like. I'm not going to call you great. I'm not going to call you awesome. I'm going to say, thank you so much for doing the job we hired. And if you keep doing that, you'll have a job here for life. We love that. That's fine. Well, when we come back, we're going to talk a little bit more about the talent fix and what's broken within the hiring process. And we're also going to ask Tim a question. Is it ever okay to just show up for work and be mediocre? So we'll be right back on the Let's Fix Work podcast. Hey, everybody. You know I love to brag about my friends. I also like to listen to them. And right now, I'm listening to Jennifer McClure, host of the Impact Makers podcast. Jennifer is connecting with leaders across all industries to figure out how to make a difference at work and in the world. Here's what she's got going on. I believe strongly that each of us has the ability and the opportunity to positively impact people through our work and through how we choose to live our lives. The truth is that you've already impacted people in this world, even if you haven't been trying. I love what Jennifer has to say. And if you like what you're hearing right here on Let's Fix Work, you'll love what Jennifer's talking about on Impact Makers. So go to jennifermcclure.net forward slash iTunes and subscribe today. Welcome back, everybody, to Let's Fix Work. I'm Lori Rudiman, and I'm here today with my best friend in Twinsy, Tim Sackett. Tim, are you excited? Are you happy to be on my podcast? You're guest number, number four or five. I can't remember. It's pretty oh, new. Oh, jeez. I mean, and, I... I, I'm not, I wasn't number one, so we'll, we'll deal with that in therapy, but uh, you know, <laughs> hey, four or five is great. So um, before we get started, you're an expert media guy, podcaster, video guy. What advice do you have for me? Oh, geez. Um, consistency, right? I think uh-huh. you, you know this. You're, gosh, you taught me more than I taught you for sure. I just think that's there's so many people, and you and I both get this, where we have so many people come to us and they go, oh, I want to write a blog or I want to do this and I want to be just like you and not like me because, I mean, I'm hoping people want to be better than me, right? Yeah, but, please, but it, come on now. Right, yeah. yeah. So, but, it, but a lot of it is, is it, it just being consistent. Like when, I, when Chris talked me into writing every single day, you know, I mean, Monday through Friday, I don't usually write Saturdays and Sundays in terms of posts, but, um, you know, that was almost eight years ago. So I've been writing every wow. single day for eight years, which is, I never, like, I didn't think I would make it a year. Like, come on. I think but, your haters would probably have said the same thing, right? They didn't I think know. you'd make it a year. So tell me, you love to write and you love to tell stories, but we all make fun of you, although it's improved because your grammar and your spelling is uh, 
kind of trashy sometimes. I don't know how else to say that. Although yeah. it is improved and you're paying attention. And now you've, you're an author. You've written a book. So what's it like to write when you don't necessarily know all the rules of grammar? Yeah, so I wasn't an English major. Like, I was a business guy. Um, you know, I, you know I, I like to go back because I wasn't really a business major. I was an elementary ed major. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. <laughs> most, of us, most of us didn't start out doing this. We were <laughs> failed so, teachers. And, so yeah. theoretically, I should know the basic grammar. You should. <laughs> <laughs> were you going to teach math in elementary school? Tell me it was going to be gym, something like no. that. Like in elementary school, you teach everything. So you don't oh, really do you? have, so you're like a, an inch deep and a mile wide. Like you have to uh, know, like you see, you're teaching social studies and you're teaching science and you're everything, right? Like you don't like, have to teach anybody how to use a semicolon. That's the difference. So, yeah. <laughs> so, um, all right. So writing wasn't necessarily your jam necessarily, but you yeah. started doing it every day and you didn't yeah. care about the rules, right? You just wrote, you just told yeah. stories. No. And, and, you know, and again, you would have haters like yourself and other people come and just tear me <laughs> apart. Um, and no, and it's funny cause I think the trolls that come out on, on the grammar, the grammar police, um, I've gotten less and less and less, partly maybe because I've gotten better, um, yeah. with some technology help. Um, but also I came right out and like, you know, so there's a great Gen Z piece of this. So if you think of young people now, and I'm not talking like 10 year olds, I'm talking about 20, 22 year olds there, that's Gen Z. They're not millennials. Um, I'm trying to change that whole perception because it drives no, me No, that's great. Yeah, me too. When leaders are going, these millennials coming out of college, no, they're like 37 and getting ready to retire now. Like, stop calling <laughs> these people millennials. Yeah, millennials have their own kids. Yeah. And so Gen Z grew up in a world of trolls, online trolls. And like the Florida shooting, we saw how those kids dealt with oh, trolls. Like. Yeah. In, in a masterful way, like no, like I'm a, I'm a Gen X. If, if a troll comes out, my first inclination is just to like, I want to fight back. I want to blow them out of the water and they disarm them so fast through humor, through just, you know, like, Hey, this is just what it is. And like, they just go on, like they, they don't get impacted by it. I'm, I'm always envious and amazed by that. Yeah, and so I'm trying to, so I try to take on that take in, in writing for the grammar police on, in my blog because I would do that where I'd go, you know, like, you know, hey, this is so great. Thank you so much for pointing this out, even though they were doing it in a really negative way. And I'm like, and if you ever find any others, please, like, you know, <laughs> feel free to send me a personal message. You sure, know, yeah, right. You know how crappy my grammar is. Isn't and, it funny how people don't want to engage you personally, though? I, I would imagine you've had these experiences where you try to hug your haters, as Jay Bear would say. Yeah. You really try to embrace the people who are giving you negative feedback. And once you make, you know, your arms open and you're, you know, you're just open-minded to them, they hide behind their screens. They won't do it. They won't come out face to face or they don't care. They don't mind being a hater and they want to stay in the shadows. Do you have that experience as well? Yeah. I mean, I found, you know, that some people just want to see the world burn, right? Yeah. And they, they, they have their own crappy lives and, and when they decide they want to unload, it's less about me and more about them. But again, it, it's when it first happens, when I first started writing, Lori, and I don't know if you found this either, is the audience was zero, right? I mean, it was a handful oh, yes. of people and it was probably like my grandma and my dad and people that were like, oh my gosh, my, my big boy's out writing and this is so nice. And they were all fans. Like the 25 people who were reading me were fans. And all of a sudden, little by little, the audience grows and grows and grows. And all of a sudden, you realize not everyone's a fan. Some people are coming to read every day for the sole purposes they hate your guts. And they can't wait for you to screw up so that they can, they can just blow you out of the water. 
and that that was really hard. I mean, when I stopped writing, you and I talked about this. Like, it, it hit me hard when you had people that were like, "Wow, like you really are coming after me in a negative way for really no reason besides you just you want to see the world burn." Well, tell me a little bit more about this book because here you were this crap blogger with zero people reading and now you're about to be this New York Times bestseller of The Talent Fix, which I'm so excited. When does it come out on Amazon? I know you have a like an estimated date, right? Yeah, probably uh, middle of the end of May, 2018. So if you're, if it's 2020 and you're listening to this blog, uh, you know, or this uh, podcast, like, Hey, uh, it's already out there. Go get it. Um, (laughs) You'll be on your third edition. All right. So uh, major themes around fixing work, fixing recruiting, fixing talent departments, turning recruiters into talent advisors. So any universal themes that you think would resonate with my audience who's interested in fixing work? Yeah. So one of the biggest things I get um, from almost every person I talk with, or, you know, from a consulting standpoint about helping them with their recruiting is they always come to me first, almost always with the tech, this tech stack. It's our technology is broken, Jim. This is why we can't do stuff. And so oh, we can't hire more women or more minorities because we don't have any technology to help us. Okay. Well, no, the yeah. technology they have is dated or just is oh, stuck yeah. or whatever. Um, and I found this a long time ago, like when I would speak to a big group of technology or uh, talent acquisition people or HR people, and I would ask, like, oh, hey, who's using X product? And like two people would raise their hands and I go, okay, you like over there, like, what do you think? And they're like, oh my gosh, we love this product. It's so great. And then the other person would be like, oh my gosh, we use this product and it sucks. <laughs> why is no. it great? Why is it great for one and sucks for another? And then you find out all those issues with adoption and you know, implementation and all the stuff that takes place. And so my first recommendation to people in the book, The Talent Fix, is from a technology standpoint, first become super users of the tech you have. Don't come and ask for my help if you're not already you've taken the technology you have to the farthest limits that it can. Because what I find is that most people come to me and want a technology um, recommendation, but they're only using 25% of the tech they have. And the tech they have actually is pretty good. I mean, I can give them another one that's going to be similar to the one they have. It's not going to be that big of a difference. They're going to think it's great because it's brand new and just implemented. And it's always the best thing since sliced bread. But guess what? There's people using your tech right now that think it's the best thing ever. Yeah. All right. So be a super user. Any other advice mm-hmm. or how to fix work and fix recruiting? Yeah. Um, you, you, we really have to put real hard measures in place, individual recruiting measures in place, not team measures. What, what I tend to see with corporate talent acquisition is that they'll do, oh, days to fill. That's a worthless measure. I would never, I would, I never have measured that. Anytime I had an executive come to me and wanted to know days to fill, I actually had to go through this entire kind of education process. Yeah, educate my audience really quickly because <laughs> days to fill, you're leaving a position open. Nobody's in it. It's important to fill that position. Days to fill is important to measure, right? Yeah, not so much because they, it's measured as a talent acquisition measure when in the reality is there's many parts of the organization that have a piece of that. Mm-hmm. Um, my friend Jim D'Amico, who runs talent for Selenese down in Dallas, um, probably does the best in terms of actually measuring days to fill in a way that makes sense to the organization. Because, and he does it as a protection for talent acquisition, not as a talent acquisition measure. Because what you find is hiring managers end up taking the majority of that days to fill because they'll sit on a resume for four days. Yes. And then they'll say, okay, yeah, now I'm interested in this person or can you know, let me think about it for another day. And okay, well, he, let's set up, a, set up an interview for me. But then he's giving us days. 
you know, three weeks down the road. And all of a sudden my days to fill for the positions at 63 days. And yet I had somebody, I had the position posted day one. I had a candidates day three, I had screened and I had them day, day five, the hiring manager had candidates in hand ready to interview. And yeah, I'm, I'm on day sense. 63. I mean, it so, literally is a worthless measure. So what's a better measurement? Or can you give us a couple better measurements to figure out whether or not the recruiting process is broken or how effective it yeah. is? Yeah. So, so in the book, I really talk about measuring the funnel. So the recruiting funnel, like a sales funnel, is how, you're, how are you measuring where, the, where, you're, where you're coming in top of funnel? So where are all those candidates coming from, from a source standpoint? You really have to understand that. So often we see that we're, we've misappropriated resources and funds to the wrong sources. But if you're not measuring that, you have no idea. Great example. And again, I'm not a LinkedIn hater. I'm on LinkedIn every single day. But LinkedIn for most companies... Wait, wait, wait. I'm a LinkedIn hater. That site is such a pain <laughs> in my ass. Just, wait, just yesterday, I got tagged in a post where people are asking me to rate them and rate their LinkedIn profile. So they're like putting a post up there citing yeah. my name and saying, come and look and tell me how to improve my LinkedIn profile. Mm-hmm. I'm like, what am I doing with my life? This sucks. And why am I getting mad about this? I don't even know. Just the whole vortex of LinkedIn pisses me off. But all right, go ahead. <laughs> so I actually use LinkedIn every day, multiple times a day, um, you know, from a business standpoint, from a social media standpoint, whatever it might be. But what I find when I go into talent acquisition shops is it's their number one spend from, a, yeah, from an actual I'm not cost. Surprised. Yeah. But then when you look at, when you measure the actual source of hire, a lot of times it's five, six, seven in terms of actual source. And then you go back and go, well, your number one source is employee referrals. And then you go look at the spend and it'll be like the 10th spend. Like they spend nothing on employee referrals, even though it's their number one thing. And then people will go, well, what, you know, well, what should we give more for bonuses? I'm like, no, you should actually automate that and have employee referral automation and spend some money on some technology and increase it and get 40% more referrals. And if those are your best hires kind of thing. Yeah. So a lot of it is, so it's measuring the funnel when you come down like, okay, so I sent, you know, so many resumes over to a hiring manager. How many did they actually want to interview? There's because there's a percentage there that makes sense. If I sent 10 over and they only want to interview one, then it's a 10% measure. That's not very good. No. They should want to interview all 10. And if they don't, why? Am I sending crap? Am I not doing, you know, is the quality of candidate bad? Things of that sort. So it's a lot about getting that. So here's what happens though. The measures are all, there's a reason you have the measures is because what you'll find instantly is about half the people you have on your recruiting team don't want to recruit. They want, to, they want that big check. They want to make 85 grand a year as a corporate recruiter, but they don't want to recruit. They want to administer a recruiting process. Oh, that's a really interesting differentiation. So what's the difference between recruiting and being a recruiting administrator? A recruiting administrator posts and prays, right? They post a job and then they pray for someone to show up and then they just funnel that resume onto the hiring manager who does the actual screening. Yeah, that sounds like a great job. It's a great job. <laughs> if you can get that job for like six figures, like oh, I, would, man. I would take that job today. Me too. Because actually. I would show up for 40 hours. I would drink coffee. I would be the best employee ever. I would shop on Zappos all day. Oh, oh my God, my it would be awesome. God. Yeah, I've done that job. I've done that job. Um, I've actually fired a lot of people that have done that job for me. <laughs> so what is a, what is a, like a real recruiter do? Well, you're measuring them. They're, they're actually out there hunting. They're not farming, right? So they're actually out there calling candidates, um, not only the ones that apply to jobs, but they're going out on sites like LinkedIn or Indeed or CareerBuilder or Monster, all those ones. Um, they're going into their database and trying to find people that applied to a job similar a year ago, but we didn't ever call. And they're actually calling them and saying, hey, are you interested? Um, most people would say, oh, well, that sounds like a staffing company. No, that's real recruiting. And you should do that as a corporate talent acquisition leader and have your team do that. And what we find, and again, so 
what I find is like 90% of corporate talent acquisition recruiters are administrators, not recruiters. So it's not like a, an uncommon thing. And so then when you start to go and say, okay, now we're truly going to become a recruiting practice, you end up losing about half your team. Yeah, your competencies and your requirements just totally change. That makes sense. Absolutely. Well, and you either select them out or they self-select out because they'll go, wait a minute, I know of another really easy job in the organization that pays like this that I'm going to go take (laughs) because I'm a recruiter. (laughs) Well, that leads me to the next question and the final question for our podcast today around mediocrity because many of us show up for work every day and we work our 40 hours a week and we go home and we have hobbies and we have lives and we're doing the bare minimum, right? We're not going to get fired anytime soon, but we have friends, Timmy, that believe that you must show up to work every day and be exceptional. Where do you fall on that scale? So I'm going to share a story because that's what I do, right? Um, when I was at Applebee's, they had a great way. The Applebee's leadership team had a great way of, of defining this. And they would say, we need to give those employees who believe that they just want to show up and work 40 hours and go home and just be average. We need to give them a gift. And they would, you're like, what's the gift? The gift is how great is it when I come to work and I feel so motivated and I want to excel and I want to be the best me I can be. If I'm in that work environment, holy crap, that is the gift of life. Wow. And if, you're, if your people don't have that, if you have an employee that doesn't have that, you need to give them that gift. And what is that gift? You fire them and let them go find that because that's truly what life is all about. So I will say I'm on the side of, yeah, you should be wanting to be exceptional in what you do. And if you don't have that, give yourself a gift and quit and go find it. Now, that was hard during the recession to say that, right? Because some of us had to be in jobs we didn't like. And I'm one of those people. I was in a job, not with Applebee's, I was in a job in a health system that was just confining to me that I hated. And I, I found something I loved, right? I found writing, I found speaking, I found all of this stuff with blogging. So I found a way to engage myself. And to me, that was the gift I gave myself was I found something to make myself get through that experience to get on the other end of the experience where I am today, which I, where I love being what I'm doing, what I'm doing. Amazing. Tim Sackett, not only are you America's best recruiter, you're also a motivational speaker. How about that? We're going to see you on the circuit with Tony Robbins. I can't wait. <laughs> hey, I'll be there, man. Just pay me that Tony Robbins money. Yeah, we're going to be walking on hot coals with you (laughs) and learning about recruiting. Well, thank you so much for joining us today. And where can everybody find you on the internet, Timmy? Just Google Tim Sackett. I'm like the first hundred pages. There's me and a truck driver (laughs) chaplain. I'm not the truck driver chaplain, even though that would be super awesome if I was the truck driver chaplain. I'm just Tim Sackett, timsackett.com. That's the brand. Man, we got to have you meet that truck driver chaplain. I want to see a video of that. That'd I think amazing. he's in Wisconsin. So next time you're up there, we should go over and yeah, track him down. Yeah, that's right. We'll need him to broker a peace talk with my family. That's another story though. <laughs> All right, Tim Sackett, thank you so much for joining us today on Let's Fix Work. Bye-bye. Hey, everybody. Welcome back. I hope you enjoyed my conversation with Tim Sackett. Tim is the author of the forthcoming book called The Talent Fix, which will be available in May of 2018. And as you heard from the conversation, Tim and I are dear friends. We go way back. And out of all the people in the world, I can absolutely vouch for Tim's character, his integrity, and his big heart. One thing that's true about Tim Sackett is that although he's a recruiter, he's not lazy. He cares about people and invests in them on an individual level. And you can't meet with Tim Sackett without getting a big hug. 
So I hope you take the time to find him on social media. And while you're at it, connect with me at L Rudiman or Let's Fix Work. Also, if you like this podcast, please rate it and review it. If you don't like this podcast, please don't review it. That's not how this works. The attention economy is weird. What I would love for you to do if you've got negative feedback or just honest feedback is to send me an email at hello at letsfixwork.com and give it to me straight in my inbox. And that's all for now on today's episode. I'll see you again next time on Let's Fix Work. If you're ready to make a real change in your workplace, start today by subscribing to this podcast and help us get the word out by leaving a review. 